Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Vinay, man, thanks for joining. Good to have you on. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, David. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Could you, if you don't mind, give a, maybe a two or three minute intro of you know yourself and your work so um, the audience can get to know you a little bit? Sure. So I'm the co-founder and CEO of this company called Securely, based in the Silicon Valley. We are a venture-backed startup. And what we do is we keep children safe online when they go online on their Chromebooks and iPads or MacBooks in the schools or at home or on the go. And we are a cloud-based layer that is constantly monitoring and alerting. We involve both the parents and schools together in co-nurturing the kids online. And in terms of uh, our traction, we are in about 10,000 schools in US translates to about 10 million students that we monitor and keep safe on a daily basis. And um, we have built multiple products and services uh, that all collectively work together in a synergistic way. Um, There's a layer of AI and there's a layer of filtering and monitoring that all works together to to make this happen. Awesome. So uh, talk about this. Why did you get into protecting kids online? It was, was it like a passion kind of thing or an opportunity kind of thing or both? Or, you know, uh, where does the interest in that even come from? Yeah, you know, I have actually wondered about this uh, earlier on when we started the company. And I think it was a convergence of a bunch of things. So first of all, my co-founder Bharat and I had toyed with entrepreneurism, you know, starting your own thing multiple times failed attempt at it, right? When you start something on the side and it doesn't go anywhere. We realized that we were enterprise security veterans working in companies like McAfee and and Hallway Semantic as architects or uh, R&D managers. But we were trying ideas out that had nothing to do with security. So the first thing that we noted was to try and focus on what we are really good at. Then I was finishing up an MBA at Wharton uh, here in San Francisco and became a big believer of building something that is meant to last rather than be a flavor of the year startup. So I wanted to build something that nobody else had built. And then it also so happened that in 2011, so a year before we were prototyping securely, I had my uh, son. We we had our first. and. Uh, 
maybe parenting, you know, paternal instincts in conjunction with an enterprise security and entrepreneurial background and the need to build something that last, uh, you know, stood, withstood the test of time got me into the space of keeping children safe online, both in schools and at home. I, I believe that's exactly how it played out. <laughs> Good story. Yeah, everything changes when you have kids. Uh, you know, I, I talk about it all the time, you know, on here that it's this different world when you're a parent. And uh, and being a startup, you know, founder slash parent at the same time is a whole bunch of challenges. So, man, that we could go on for hours about that. But um yeah, you know, I'm I'm interested in uh, off mic. You and I were talking before, you know, we we started, and uh, you know, you guys you guys kind of got into the the AI world um, for a really interesting reason. You know, kind of early on, before like I said, before TensorFlow or anything like that. You know, it was not the hot buzzword in 2013. But um, the reason I thought was neat. I'd love you to tell that story. Yeah, absolutely. So when we started off, the idea was quite simply to build a cloud-based, um, you know, software as a service layer that is ubiquitously monitoring, filtering, and alerting across school devices, home devices, on-the-go devices, both in schools and at home. And all we had in mind back then was to block inappropriate content. So websites, videos, keyword searches, those kinds of things. And we had no idea. Um, you know, my co-founder and I are not experts in social media or mental health. So we went in and schools loved the simplicity of our solution, uh, it allowed them to achieve compliance. Parents loved the ability to know that when they turn YouTube on, uh, the kid is kept safe from all the user-generated inappropriate content out there. But then within the very first year of our operations, we saw that the schools worried about a specific issue we had not thought about, which was mental health-related issues. And then social media triggered bullying and self-harm and suicide-related issues. So when we started investigating this, we first felt we could just build a visualization, like a visual audit trail of what kids were doing on Facebook and Twitter. What were they searching on Google? What were they watching on YouTube? So we have like all of this visibility given the monitoring layer that we had built. So we, we felt our job was done by just giving schools that layer of visibility. But then we quickly realized that these are school IT admins. They're already overworked. You know, they, they are usually understaffed, especially in public school districts. What are we really trying to achieve here? There's no way an IT admin is going to keep up on the Google searches of all of the kids in the entire school district, right? Imagine tens of thousands of students. Then we felt the, the right way to do this would be to look for ways by which we can bubble up something that is important versus every single thing that's being logged. And then we started exploring the world of AI, and this is before the a, before AI was hot. Uh, we looked at things like NLTK, and I was actually, you know, I'm, I'm not an AI expert. I've uh, gotten really good at it just by virtue of doing it for the last five years. But when we started off, nobody in the team was an AI expert. 
But I was pretty surprised with how much you can do with off-the-shelf tools, open source tools like NLTK, simple Python scripts. And within a very short period of time, I forget how how long, but it was just a matter of days, we were able to put our first 1.0 version of our AI system together. And I, I distinctly remember we fed it anonymized data from the school districts that we were uh, monitoring. And it was catching things like, slowly, there's no point in continuing anymore. I've reached an end here. That's it, friends. Friday is my last day. And as you can see, right, there's not a single word in here that can be considered suicidal. Like the kid is not saying kill or suicide or um, you know, anything else that can immediately tell you that she is depressed. But the AI did catch the sentiment behind this and we were blown away. And so what we did was we built a layer of notifications with this. And so that's how it started off. And as I was explaining it to you, uh, David, I feel it's very easy to go from doing nothing to being about 60 to 70% accurate. But then going from 70 to 100 takes a lot of effort. And this is where you need an army of data scientists. You need a feedback loop between your AI algorithms, your data scientists, and then the 24-7 monitoring team that we have, which also doubles up as a AI training team. So we are getting better daily but it's a long journey to become perfect. Uh, so yeah, that's the story. I suppose it would be an endless journey to become perfect. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like that's heavy stuff, man. I mean, how did you even process that? You know, I mean, that, you, you know, it's one thing to kind of go, hey, I don't want my my kid watching a bunch of, you know, idiots blowing themselves up on YouTube or whatever, you know, jackass or something. I mean, there's a lot of inappropriate stuff, <laughs> but it doesn't rise to the level of, you know, what we see in the news and, you know, suicides and bullying and, you know, just awful violence. And I, I don't know, like, how do you, how do you put your head around that, that you're, you know, developing technology that can kind of push the world back the other direction. I don't know. That's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. 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 And very interestingly, and it kind of makes sense. We are seeing some level of, adverse selection happening in our company where more than half of the employee base that we have, and we have about 150 full-time employees across US and offshore. I I know personally, like at least 20 who have had incidents in their families, like very close family members or friends. And they are here because of that. And pretty much half of the company during our surveys tell us that they are here because of the mission, because it it somehow impacts them on a personal level. And so that's definitely happening. And like I said, back in 2013, when we started the company, I couldn't believe how rampant this situation is. So you're not going to believe this statistic, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. So on an average... Every single school district that we have has at any point of time in any given week, one kid, at least one kid, actively trying to kill himself or herself every single week. It's just that it takes a matter of time for them to research uh, how to go about doing that. And 
maybe not every single time it, it actually does end up happening. So we read all of these news on, you know, CNN and other places and we feel, oh, it's probably a one-off, probably a one-off, but it's actually that there's a lot more that's happening that doesn't reach the, the national news level. Right, right. Absolutely. And so, yeah, what's that look like from, I mean, that's, it must be a highly sort of regulated and, and different type of reporting mechanism for every, every district, every state, or, you know, any school system that, that you're working in, you must have had to engineer a, a very flexible workflow and reporting mechanism for, for such a thing to, to meet the various requirements. How, how does that work? Yeah, great, great observation there. Um, that's exactly been our philosophy. So we have basically taken the position that we have a tool and a technology that allows the school district, depending upon their beliefs and policies and compliance requirements, to use the tool to achieve what they want. So you can be a school district that keeps, for example, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube wide open, completely like wide open with, with you know, no restrictions. Or you can be at the other end of the spectrum. And we see both, by the way, where YouTube is blocked. Facebook and Twitter are, of course, blocked, but YouTube is completely blocked. So there, none of the educational videos on YouTube are accessible. And then we have seen school districts that are somewhere in the middle. So we, we do provide that flexibility, which is, of course, extremely basic, but we, we have a lot richer functionality as well. For example, school districts can choose to involve parents with the parental apps that we have built. So parents can be taking part in the policy decisions outside of the school district or be notified on certain flagged alerts and those kinds of things. Um, schools can decide on how much control parents can get. They can maybe only block additional websites, but not open up what is already blocked by the district or give the parents full control. The schools can decide whether parents get access to social media or not. Um, they can turn on or off the flagged activity functionality, which is where the AI detects, you know, depression and bullying incidents. So, Basically, agreeing with you, we, we were forced to build a very rich, flexible system. And if, if I may, I would also like to clarify a couple of laws, um, you know, the legal landscape. Mm -hmm. So fundamentally, there is a CIPA, Children's Internet Protection Act, CIPA law, that is almost as old as the internet which requires every single school district in U.S., the public school districts for sure, but also, um, you know, any school district that takes in E-rate funding to have a web filtering and monitoring system in place. So mm -hmm. it really goes in as a pretty much a contractor that has been brought in to let the schools achieve compliance with CEPA, a federal law. Then there is FERPA, which yeah. requires school districts to let the parents have access to any of these logs that are maintained by the school district. So securely then becomes a tool that facilitates FERPA by allowing parents to get information about what the schools are maintaining about the kid and even, even allow the parents to request a specific piece of information to be deleted from the system. So, so we allow that as well. 
And then we at our end are compliant with COPPA and other state laws. So California, for example, has extremely strict laws. And then finally, we saw within the last five years, literally like right in front of our eyes, all 50 states in U.S. enacted anti-bullying laws, all 50 of them. And then 18 states in U.S. as of right now have enacted uh, a law that requires school districts to provide anonymous tip lines to, to prevent the next Parkland shooting like incident from happening. So all of this is happening and we are kind of like, you know, in the, in the middle of this extremely dynamic landscape. Yeah, a lot has changed in the space. And, um, you know, when I'm struck by, you know, the statistic. Uh, you're right. I mean, I, I actually have worked with with teenagers a lot. And so it, it doesn't surprise me that that's true. In fact, what it makes my head do is to wonder when you expose a statistic like that to the user base. So you got 10 million kids, which means you've got X million parents and uh, it could be 20 million parents and it could be, you know, I don't know, 2.5 million teachers and administrators. So, I mean, that when you almost have like an advocacy platform there, and I'm, I'm curious what happens when you expose the anonymized sort of global data like that, have you seen the customer base you know, kind of react. And, and I wonder, is there any maybe even causality to some of the, that you've made a, a difference to where states and everybody is starting to say, hey, we need to take care of this. You know, just curious if any of that stuff has, has happened or what, what what's the reaction been? Uh, great question. So like any typical startup, we have been in the first five years of our journey, uh, in our march to get to what, what they call like, you know, the 10 million ARR milestone, right? We have been so busy in building solutions and selling that we have not yet invested as much time in advocacy. And this is definitely something that we see as, you know, uh, an important step to take for the company moving forward. Um, we, we do want to be working closely with, um, people who actually create these laws and shape them because it, it, you know, there is something called as too much technology, but there is also at the other end, something where too little technology will actually hurt the system. So we want to be ahead and in front of this uh, discussion. Um, but it hasn't happened in a meaningful way. What has happened, though, from our end is for the first time ever in 2018, we actually put together an impact report. We call it a double bottom line social impact quarterly report. And we took the position that just the same way publicly traded companies file their quarterly reports with SEC, we will be filing our reports to the world on our efficacy, like like, hey, world, here's what's really happening out there. And everyone needs to listen. Now, we, we, of course, don't have the kind of audience that we expect. But every chance we get, we, we share it with anyone who, um, you know, we get a lot of inbounds from news, as you can imagine, right? Like lots of organic inbounds. So we share these reports with them. And then 
various different statistics from within that is shared with the parent community, with with the community that listens to that news channel. So kind of scratching the surface here, but uh, look forward to absolutely, you know, diving into it over the next five years of our trajectory. Yeah, yeah. I, did you expect such a thing? You know, that you would uncover such valuable life changing data for so many people it, on, on the one hand that's that's very you know sort of heavy burden and and on the other hand I, I imagine that's so rewarding psychologically like you created a thing that can make people's lives better in the way that we all kind of hoped all technology would and yet you know the tide has turned a little bit in the news about you know technology is is not good and privacy and you know the bad side of social media like you seem to maybe have turn some of that in a direction that maybe wouldn't have been intuitive when, when you reflect on it, did you expect such a thing? Um, from an expectation point of view, uh, when we went in, we actually did not expect to run into this, this, at least in the size and amplitude of the situation, right? Like the gravity of the situation, we did not expect. We, we, I mean, of course, we knew that schools deal with bullying both online and offline because, you know, all of us went through schools ourselves. So we kind of knew. But when I grew up, I didn't see anyone being suicidal next to me, right? Or being bullied to an extent that we hear about in the news uh, lately. And so I didn't go in expecting it would be this bad. But then we started seeing how bad things are. And then over the last five years, watching my son and then watching what I'm seeing here with Securely. So this is, of course, not, this is just my personal opinion, but I feel what has changed now is social media is basically accelerating the, the damage that's happening. And now the glass half full version, I feel, again, this is just my personal opinion, is I feel things will not get any worse. I think we are probably seeing the worst of what could have happened. Social media is not going to make things any worse. Uh, we are probably seeing, you know, the the most extreme version right now. So <laughs> we're it. we're at peak bad now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand, man. Great insights. You know, it, it, thank you so much for sharing the opinion. You know, that's that's just that's fascinating. So, I guess the last question, you know. Um, looking back over the time that that you've had i mean zero to 150 people and venture funding and you know all this stuff uh what are some key takeaways you know in some ways that that's uh that's a story that a lot of our listeners will want to have and in other places it sounds terrifying you know so what do you wish you knew back then and and what uh you know what are some key sort of lessons and takeaways that that you would like to impart yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things come to mind. First of all, like like uh, we discussed, I think social media is here to stay. Mental health issues, uh, you know, uh, kids wanting to hurt each other online because they think it's fun, but but the person who gets hurt is scarred for life. Those issues are going to be here forever. I also feel human-assisted AI actually does work. It's a technology where... We all know that everyone's really honest with Google and Bing. Like you, you search and you visit websites and 
this activity reveals your deepest and darkest secrets. Now, if AI can monitor this and bubble up um, disturbing activity, it, it absolutely works. So ultimately, I feel compliance and baseline safety layers will drive technology. But technology will always, in terms of its ability and capability, be ahead of what the real needs are, what's, what's necessary. Technology will always be able to do way beyond what's necessary. And so I feel like as a society, we should try and strike, the, strike a balance between too much technology and too little technology. So that's my key kind of like, you know, having watched securely for the last five to six years, um, I, I feel too little technology is unacceptable. But then every once in a while you hear technology around facial recognition and other things and, and laws that are bills that are introduced to to stop that. It, it's kind of like this tug of war going on between privacy and security. I, I take the, the position that um, we need to strike that balance based between the minimum that needs to be done to keep children safe online. Brilliant insights. Vinay, thank you so much for, for sharing this stuff. It's, it's uh, really interesting to talk to you and thanks for joining us. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.